Today, Entrepreneur House listeners, we are privileged to have the Abroaders.com founders on our show. Abroaders was started by Eric Paquette and AJ Dunn, two best friends from Michigan who are passionate about traveling the world and creating business that helps others do the same. Abroaders is a premier concierge service that helps you save enormous amounts of money by using frequent flyer and award miles, turning your regular spending into multiple free flights each year. If you have ever booked your own flights with frequent flyer miles, you know how much time it can take and how much of a headache it can be. I can certainly vouch for this. They have a vast knowledge of airline alliances, routings, and experience booking elaborate travel itineraries with frequent flyer miles and award points. They are also international travel experts focusing on banking, credit cards, and location-independent business tools. So, AJ and Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, man. Thanks, Chris. Let's dig into your guys' story first. Uh, where did you start out at? How did you meet? How did you move into being the entrepreneurs that you are today? And you guys feel free to elaborate on this and dig deep. We're going to do kind of an unscripted podcast here, and we can just roll with it, whatever comes up. All right. Yeah. Well, where Eric and I start, our personal relationship goes way back to when we were kids in a little small town in Michigan called Grand Ledge, a town of 9,000 people. And we grew up, you know, playing sports together. We went to the, we're in the same public school system, and we actually didn't go to school together until high school, but we knew each other from playing, you know, football, basketball, and baseball. About the time uh, that AJ and I both finished college, we kind of, for a year or two, kind of went in separate directions. I really didn't have any idea what I wanted to do professionally, and so <laughs> I, I started, too. yeah, it's a, it's a tough, tough problem. I got a master's degree, and at the end of it, I was like, <laughs> I was like, what am I supposed to do with my life now? <laughs> oh, that's exactly it, Ben. Yeah. Most of my uh, my peers from, from university were looking for jobs in finance or big banking. I studied economics, and that was definitely not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so I you know, basically just worked like a part-time summer job and saved up a bunch of money and went to South America on like a three-month trip to see if uh, traveling was, was something that I really wanted to, to try and continue to explore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll let AJ sort of tell his story after college, but eventually we met up in Argentina and at that point decided that we wanted to start a business together. Yes. How long after you had left the States to go, was this like directly after you went three months to South America and then AJ came down to visit you? Yeah. So right after university, I took a a job that ended up not being that great. Um, And I worked, I worked for about a year and a half and it was a little over a year into work, I decided, I decided to take some vacation time, which was very, very, very limited. And Eric was down, you know, tooling around South America, having a great time. He's like, man, come down. This could be great. And so I booked a flight to, to Buenos Aires and went down there and saw Eric. And I think I was down there for maybe like seven or eight days, which was a big deal. Like all, all my coworkers were like, wow, you, you're such a badass. You're, you're really going to take that much time off? I'm like, uh-huh. I, yeah, I guess so. Uh-huh. So I was down there for, you know, seven, eight days. And then I just had such a good time, and I saw how much of a good time Eric was having, and that was kind of the, the aha moment that the job I had just wasn't a really good fit for my personal lifestyle and my, my desires for travel. Mm-hmm. Eric's got something I think he wants to add. Well, so I, I just want to paint a picture of the day that AJ showed up in Buenos Aires, <laughs> okay. because he looked so stressed out. <laughs> I mean, it was the middle of winter in the U.S., so it was like mm-hmm. February in Kalamazoo, where AJ was living and working. And he was, like, rushed. I remember him telling me that he had, like, some some 
on-site visits that yeah. they had to do for work. So he drove like way down to the southeast, uh, southwest corner of Michigan, and then had to go all the way to Detroit. And he showed up to Buenos Aires with only his laptop bag. Mm-hmm. And we're like, "Where's your stuff, man?" And he's like, ah, "Don't even." I left it. I left it in my apartment. <laughs> I left my apartment. So I had I had like a really important sales like sales call I had to go down, which was about an hour and a half south of Kalamazoo. Uh-huh. And so I drove down to like the Indiana border, and it was snowing. Drove back. Uh, had my bag and everything. I'm like, oh shit, I might need to do some work. I had to do some work at the airport before I left and submit some reports. Uh-huh. And then I got in my car and I got to the airport. And when I got in the shuttle from parking to the airport, the guy's like, where's your bag? And I look, I'm, I'm like, I'm, like uh, I'm just bringing a carry-on, uh, which was my little, tiny little work bag. So I uh, showed up in Argentina with just my computer. Um, luckily, I was economically in a nice situation. I was making pretty good money, so it wasn't a big deal to go just buy clothes yeah. for the trip and just not worry about it and enjoy it but um yeah so that was that was a trip where eric and i decided talking about uh together if we could create some type of business or create uh some type of thing that would allow us the the financial independence to travel around and be location independent and after that when i returned back to my shitty job eric was still in south america for a while and we we did a lot of Skype calls. It just We tossed around so many ideas. We were thinking about getting into cosmetics because we met a guy that had done really well in cosmetics and sold his line to Louis Vuitton. And we were trying all these different things. We had probably 10 or 15 ideas that were talking about physical products or just different stuff. And then uh, we finally settled on our first business, which was... In all honesty, a website brokerage where we would we would like broker deals for web agencies. We would uh-huh. essentially sell web services and then take the money and then scramble to find somebody to do the work because neither of us knew anything <laughs> about designing, developing, or marketing websites. Uh, Let uh, me just give you a picture of the the super modest beginnings and and sort of faking it until you make it sort of situation. Uh-huh. The first website we ever sold oh was about a hundred and twenty dollars. I think. <laughs> no, 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 man, no, no. You're selling the shortest two hundred bucks. We tried. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, and uh, we had it built by someone in India that you know we had had like a short Skype call with and thought eh, he could probably handle it. Uh-huh. And uh, I think we paid like 40 or 50 bucks. No, I, re- I remember exactly. We paid $20. It was a one-page website, and it was just just some like HTML, CSS with the PHP contact form. It was $20. And neither of us knew anything about how to do it. So like, uh-huh. there was no like fixing it, editing it. We just got like what he turned over and just sent it over to the client. And fast forward a couple of years later, and we were working with uh, a company on the West Coast that does websites for big brands, does design stuff for Apple, does stuff for BMW, and we contracted a site uh, job that we had we had sold out to them uh, for a major university, a Division One university football program. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, in that period of time, we learned all this new stuff. And you know, honestly, like even at the point where we were selling this website to a Division One company uh, or university, we really didn't know how to do all the pieces of it. No. But we were just exploring and you know hiring people that we had confidence in that could figure it out and sort of that experience of being middlemen and just sort of okay how do we sell and how do we get the fulfillment done turned out to be super valuable later on when we actually pivoted and, and started the abroaders business and mm-hmm. needed all of those sorts of websites yeah, it, was a huge, it was a huge exercise in um being able to get things done when you don't know how to do it yourself. Uh-huh. And we even leaned on this agency that we subbed work to for a really important sales call. There's a, a like multi-billion dollar telecom company we did a gig for. We, we did the front end uh, design and development of their portal for like the telecom customer wow. service portal. 
And I remember we knew we were in overhead. The the, C- <laughs> the CTO is a guy we're going to be on the call with because he wanted to test our technical chops. And uh-huh. he did stuff uh, at J.P. Morgan Chase before. He's like a technical advisor. And so we just called up our guys. We're like the CEO of the web, web agency. I'm like, Mike, can you and a dev hop on this call and help us close the sales so we can all make some money? And then we got in the call and we just thought this guy, Mike, who's a great businessman, really talented designer, and his uh, his senior front end guy, Yusuf, were on this call. And they answered all the technical questions, what the product we were going to deliver. And we, we just kind of shut up and let, let these guys <laughs> sell it. And then we, we took the money, gave like half of it to the guys, uh, you know, our friends that did the work uh-huh. and like delivered a a pretty good product, um, but uh, yeah, that was an interesting. Time. A lot of stressful moments, uh, for sure. Yeah, I love that story. I didn't know that story at all. That's that's great. Yeah, but obviously we don't do that anymore because it became a bit exhausting. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, and like the finance was so inconsistent, you know, we'd bring in, you know, that gig, we made some decent money, you know, turn over 14, 15 grand in a month and then scrambling to do the work and the next month not making any money. It just, it, yeah, it, it kind of warned us. Well, we like, also kind of realized that there was a ton of companies that did that, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's thousands and thousands yeah. of web design and development companies. And so we realized that unless we were incredibly unique in our ability to, to actually do those things, we weren't going to be able to differentiate ourselves and not having the actual knowledge of how to build a site or how to uh, do the, the back-end development or the, the front-end yeah, design. Yeah, we gave up so much room on our margins having to pay a company to do the work. Yeah. Um, and so, we, you know, we got squeezed a little bit on pricing and margins, but uh, it, was good, it was a good learning experience. It was. It was a critical learning experience. And so in the meantime we were traveling and, and working from abroad by using frequent flyer points. Mm-hmm. And so AJ and I spent eight weeks the first year in Rio. And, you know, that was like an experience in itself of how do we uh, sort of reset and figure out how to not feel like we're on vacation and actually make this mm-hmm. a work experience and, and not, you know, have our company just completely nosedive. And so we progressively expanded those periods of time that we were working abroad but in the meantime, we were using points and paying 50 or 100 bucks for round-trip travel per person. Mm-hmm. And we started having all of these friends asking us, how are you guys doing this? Mm-hmm. I know you guys aren't making that much money. Like, <laughs> how are you guys traveling in business class to South America? Uh-huh. And we're like, well, we'll tell you. And if you want, we'll help you do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so we had so many people take us up on that. Uh, they were like, maybe we could just like have a service that we just coached people through how to how to use points and and earn earn points and use them for travel and so that was the beginning of a broaders uh and for a while we did both things at the same time but as Mm -hmm. soon as we really saw that we were getting some traction uh we shifted all of our our energy and resources over to to working on the broaders project when was that 2013 is when we did our first I think we did our first podcast episode in autumn of 2013 as an Indigo Tree Hotel in uh, Ubud, Bali, Indonesia. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It was a trip right after the Dynamite Circle Conference in Bangkok. Uh-huh. We went with uh, a couple of really cool guys, uh, Jimmy Tomzak and uh, Chris Brill, uh, Scott Brills, Scott Brills and, and, Danny uh, and Danny Mikulitz. And, you know, those guys were all quite a bit ahead of us in uh-huh. terms of their entrepreneurial journey. And we were just inspired, and it was like, okay, now's now's like an ideal time. Let's uh-huh. let's make this pivot. Let's at the very least start a podcast so that we can talk about this points and miles stuff and see if we can help other people do it through that medium. Uh-huh. And at the same time, we started trying to map out what it would look like to sort of formalize as a productized service what we had been sort of just informally helping people do by answering questions mm-hmm. and advising them on credit cards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
And then, so this was early 2013, late 2013, yep. right? Yep. And in 2014, um, you guys, so for the listeners to understand, like these guys were starting a business and running a business, but at times you were separate. Like you weren't yes. even in the same country. Yeah, right? we spent a lot of time uh, in different countries or in different continents mm-hmm. and having to collaborate and get some work done. Uh, how is that? How was that starting out, starting a new business and being separate as opposed to together where you can mastermind all the time? Challenging. Yeah, it is challenging um, it, on, on multiple levels. And one thing that we've kind of come to realize when we've been in the same place, there's so much, uh, it's like osmosis, it's like passive passive productivity you're out having beers and then an idea pops up and then you know hey man what would you think about if we did this those are conversations you would never have because if we're in different places and i'm out having beers with my friends i'm not going to just be like oh here's an idea let me call up eric it's 4 30 in the morning in saigon right now let me see if i can wake <laughs> him up and talk it's just those conversations never happen right um and not to mention just you know just being around the house or in the same city as somebody just it's so much easier to communicate Right. Um, it, it, people can absolutely work remote, and remote teams can succeed and win. But it's really hard to believe, for me, on the high level, that being in the same place is worse. Okay. You know, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think you can you can accelerate accelerate your progress as fast when you're separated. Uh, and so now we've sort of shifted to a strategy where you know obviously it's not convenient for us always to be in the same place. Mm-hmm. You know, each of us have you know family stuff and you know different places that we want to be. Um, but I'd say now we probably spend at least half of the year living mm-hmm. in the same place. And um, so it makes a big difference. If you have sort of a critical level of, of time together to be able to focus on stuff, we tend to use that time to sort of mastermind and mm-hmm. look at more medium and long-term vision and, and plans of like what are we going to develop, who's responsible for what, and, and how are we going to hold ourselves accountable during this next period of time when we're going to be separated for a little while. Right, very um, nice. I think one more thing on that is the nature of our business and uh, the, the time right now for us is, I think, really important to do more collaboration because we're not to, you know, toot our own horn, but we're doing something kind of unique. We're not, we're not doing something that's been done before, and so there's we're just inventing stuff. There's a lot of decisions we have to make. It's not like a there's not like a roadmap we're following. We're kind of we're, we're creating something new. And uh, compared to you know having a service business where you've got things strictly you know uh, defined and you know exactly what you're going to offer, um, we're we're doing a service and we're building software and we've got a technical guy who's great. But we're kind of the bridge to the knowledge of frequent flyer miles to get the product developed. So it's it's just a lot of stuff going on right now. Nice. So let's let's fast forward a bit. And last time I saw you was in Rio. Yes. No, in early 2016. Mm-hmm. And you guys just recently got some investments from outside investors. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and actually, when you say just recently, literally within the last week, we actually got the money from the investment. So all the way back to the time that we were talking, Uh the deal was more or less done. We were working through the legal stuff, the paperwork, the contracts, um, but it actually took until uh, last week. Yeah, we'd we'd agreed on the terms of the deal, but the last mile stuff was just a pain with the the structure of the deal, having it to be with... uh, the investors are based in Brazil, mm-hmm. and it's really tricky for Brazilians to send money outside of Brazil, yeah. and some banks wouldn't do that, and yeah. then there was a new law that was passed that changed the the tax on that stuff, and it, just a lot of shit happened that just made it uh, a little bit more tricky to actually get to the point where we executed the deal, and they wired us the money. How did the deal come about? Like, where did the investors come from? How did they hear about you guys? 
So there was uh, there's another DCer named uh, Rick Lima, and uh, Rick and I came into contact probably about April of last year, April 2015, mm-hmm. uh, and I was in Sao Paulo, and AJ was in Sao Paulo, and Rick introduced us to the angel investor that had been the first person to inter- uh, to invest in his company, World Packers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I know. So, yeah. yeah, that's a super cool company. Yeah. So just for context, World Packers uh, allows travelers to connect with hostels all over the world and other accommodation. Yeah, you uh, trade your skills for accommodation. Yep. Okay. And so if you're good at online marketing, you're a photographer, or, you know, there's also sort of basic things like you want to just work at the front desk and you speak a couple languages or you want to practice learning a language, you essentially trade 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week of work and they give you room and board. They are a Sao Paulo-based startup. He introduced me to their lead investor and... Uh, AJ and I sat down and had uh, lunch with this guy, and we're just kind of talking, and he actually invited us to a meetup of all the founders in the companies that he had funded. Mm -hmm. And so his portfolio had, I think, eight to ten companies Mm -hmm. at that time. We got to meet all these founders, see all these cool different ideas, and he had a couple of other ones besides World Packers that were in the travel space. Mm -hmm. And so from that point forward, you know, we just kind of kept an ongoing communication and a dialogue open with him about where things were going with the broaders, how things were developing. And by the end of 2015, we had sort of realized that we were at a point where we needed to pivot uh, because Mm -hmm. we were doing a sort of small-scale concierge-type service where we were helping a couple hundred clients earn and redeem frequent flyer miles. And it was enough to sort of keep the business alive, but we weren't putting any money away, so to speak. You know, we were spending everything that came in each month to just sort of keep... Yeah, vicious cycle, no money to to grow. Yep, right. Um, We kind of flatlined. And we realized also that uh, having gone through this process with 200 people, the process was definitely scalable, but we needed a software tool to do that. Um, And so the first thing that we tried was to actually hire uh, a development company. Um, And we did that, and it failed miserably because, uh, first of all, neither of us had ever uh, really led a development project. And so we were really unfamiliar with sort of how to translate the ideas that we had in our head into something that someone could build uh, that would work the way we wanted it to. Um, And so we wasted a bunch of money and a lot of time and energy Mm -hmm. trying to do this. And when we didn't get anything, we sort of ran out of money and Mm -hmm. didn't have anything yet and didn't have any, you know, light at the end of the tunnel that we were going to have a tool that we could use. uh, We realized that we really needed to rethink the overall strategy. And at that point, we talked to the the angel investor again and said, you know, what what do you think we can do to sort of make this happen? And, you know, would you be interested in investing in a broader's? Um, and one of the core criteria that was a, a deal breaker for him was that we hire a CTO or mm-hmm. a chief technical yeah. officer to be a founder, a partner mm-hmm. uh, with an equity stake that would help us build the product. Mm-hmm. And that was the big transition. It's like, okay, so mm-hmm. we're going to need more money than we have. We're definitely going to need some sort of investment funds to be able to hire this person. Um, and so we started looking for a person that could, could fit that role. And we're really fortunate it's to find somebody. Fancy, fancy we're here chatting with you, Chris, because <laughs> thanks to the entrepreneurhouse.com's experience, I swear to God, we found our CTO. It was Russ Hughes from the house last year uh-huh. uh, after he heard me kind of whining and complaining, oh, we need a technical guy, we need a technical guy. Does uh-huh. anyone know a technical guy? He pulled me aside. He's like, hey, you should talk to George Millo. Uh-huh. George Millo expressed interest in getting away from working on other people's projects and being a part of a team and having equity in a company and, and, and being a part of a business as opposed to being a contractor. 
And uh, like here we are today, George Miller is our CTO, a guy from the Entrepreneur House last year uh -huh. with us. Um, so that's how we found our CTO. And another thing I actually want to mention, because a lot of people listening are probably location independent and they travel. If you want investment, one of the other concerns of our, our angel was, are you guys serious? He's mm -hmm. like, do you guys want to just travel around and hang out at beaches and work 30 hours a week and have a nice lifestyle business? Or are you guys going to try to hit a home run? Are you guys crazy about this idea? Are you committed? Do you want to make this idea explode? And in all honesty, before we, we kind of were lifestyle designers and had a lifestyle business and we didn't work crazy hours with our old business, but we're at a point now where we're we're completely committed to, to doing everything we can in this. And, and it took a little bit of convincing, but I mean, I, I remember, you know, on one of the last calls with them, he's like, you know, how serious are you guys? Like, I remember being young. I remember traveling, but <laughs> like, if you've got that mindset, you are not going to win doing what you yep. want to do. Right. So, so what, what convinced him that you guys were serious? How'd you guys sell him on that idea? Honestly, I think it was, uh, Fundamentally, it came down to a, a relationship of trust that was built up over a long period of time. I mean, I think it made a big impact that we were staying in touch with him from the time we met in April until the time we started talking seriously about investment terms and, and you know, really moving forward with how a deal might be structured uh, was December. And in that intervening time, we were giving him updates, letting him know how things were going, you know, how many customers we had acquired, what our challenges were. And I think that communication really gave him a chance mm -hmm. to see us in action. And so the way that he sort of proposed the investment was essentially uh, a small, uh, very lean budget that was going to give us around a year of runway mm -hmm. and was going to make it possible for him to sort of test us out and see if we could take a little bit of extra money and get traction mm -hmm. and, and create something. And so, you know, I think one was, was the, the sort of ongoing communication, yeah. and then two, we went down and, and visited him in yeah. person. And, and I also remember on the phone one time, I, I just got out in front of it, and I said, like, Fabio, you need to know, I'm, I'm going to be an animal with this idea, I'm crazy about this idea, I will do whatever it takes. I've done the lifestyle design thing before and it's great, but I'm fucking tired of that. Like I really want to crush it with this. Mm -hmm. And we are, we are beyond committed to putting the hours and, and grinding and, and travel is going to come secondary and the lifestyle is going to come secondary to this company. And that's not some, that's not a mindset I want to carry with me forever, but that's, that's kind of where I am. I've been lucky last three or four years, traveled a lot, seen a lot of things, but uh, the itch I want to scratch right now is the potential in this company and, and seeing it realize or doing everything we can and kind of seeing where the chips fall. Yeah. I've seen a lot, I think you guys too, have seen a lot of people that start out on this lifestyle to like, hey, I, I do want to work 20, 30 hours a week mm -hmm. and hang out on the beach and mm -hmm. travel and see all these places in the world. And just, I'm not too worried about making too much money, right. but just enough to get by. But then a lot of people kind of transform to yeah. where we are all at now. After yeah. traveling for a while, we're like, okay, we really want to build something. And we find it, and we just direct all our time and energy. Yeah, towards and it's not mutually exclusive. I mean, if I were if I were smarter, I could be one of these people that worked fifteen hours a week and was a millionaire. But this just, <laughs> I, I haven't figured out. I haven't cracked that code. And just the nature of our business, it just requires requires our time. Yeah. I, well, you I, have to spend the time to get there. You know, right. I think that's the point. Is that like I envision that a broaders at some point will be a company that has uh, a bigger team. You know, twenty to thirty employees uh, that are managing things and there are well defined procedures and we've really fleshed out what needs to happen mm -hmm. to help a lot of people. But for us, the motivation was much more about creating something that changes the way people travel and mm -hmm. changes the accessibility of travel. Mm -hmm. Like, it sucks that a broke college student that doesn't have savings can't 
go out and see the world because the $1,100 plane ticket is right. the limiting factor. Right. And so they're stuck going to you know Miami Beach, Florida instead of going somewhere in South America where they'd actually have a real cultural experience. And like mm-hmm. to me, that was the motivation. That was like what we wanted to set out to build. And we, we thought, you know, this is something that we really could make scalable in a way that affects hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Mm-hmm. And so that made it super easy, honestly, to work 50, 60 hours a week. And I do it happily right now. Yes. You know, I really do love working every day. Um, and I think that's important. Like, I, I'm not sure I subscribe to the, you know, you have to be, find the thing you're passionate about uh, to work because AJ and I weren't passionate really at all about our first business. No. But we learned a lot of things that were stepping stones that made it possible to do this. And I can guarantee you if we had jumped right into this Broaders thing, we wouldn't have had the, the ammunition to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we just launched a new website and I think about all of the, the equity of, you know, sweat equity that AJ gained by being the Mm -hmm. guy that was figuring out how to do website stuff Mm -hmm. for two years before we got to this. And, you know, we've now got sort of a critical set of skills that make it possible to either do things ourselves when we have to bootstrap or to have the, the, fundamental knowledge that's needed to hire the right people yeah. and not get ripped yeah, off. Yeah, that's the interesting. Like, looking back, I, we probably got ripped off by devs so, 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 so often. <laughs> and now I'm not a, I'm not a pro dev, but I, I understand development and front-end dev enough where I can see if somebody sucks. Yeah. Um, I can't tell the difference between a good and a great developer, but I can take a peek at source code now, and I can be like, do you think I'm that dumb? This is a fucking WordPress theme that you bought for $40. You didn't even change the folder name to make it like pretend to be a custom WordPress. It's like you can, you learn those things, which when we started the first company, I mean, who, who knows what people are sending us? Like I, we <laughs> yeah, had no idea. <laughs> All right. And so uh, your team today, what does it look like? So you two and then George is CTO. Yep. Uh, Jake, uh, who's also actually a friend of Asia and mine from, from back home in Grand Ledge, Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, he's our, our lead marketing person and uh, also part of the, the core executive team. Uh, mm-hmm. We sort of brought him on as a partner uh, a couple of months ago. Nice. And uh, so it's us four full-time. We also have a full-time person in the Philippines uh, that helps with all kinds of stuff, customer support, data entry, just really helping to kind of build the, the back-end data set that's going to make the, the app function. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got Janelle, uh, who's our, our person that Books makes like the travel dreams yeah. actually happen. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just basically works with our customers to, to take the points that they've earned and turn them into the flights that they want. Um, so that's the core team. And we've got a few other people that sort of help out. We just brought on a new, uh, developer to help sort of accelerate some of the stuff mm-hmm. that we're doing with the app. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, you know, we're, we're sort of just looking to get to that minimum viable uh, product that we can have 10,000 people using and right. really get to that spot where we can sort of uh, learn and see how what the direction scales to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a nice size for a team. And, um, you know, honestly, there's a few people on the team that AJ and I have never even met in person. Yeah, I've, n- I've never met Janelle in person. I've never met Rosie in person. And Ryan, the new dev we brought on, I've never met, I've never met Ryan. Uh-huh. Uh, just, uh, just obviously Eric, George, and Jake. Um, but yeah, I've only met half of our team. But you guys, how often do you guys have, do you have team meetings? We don't have any full team meetings. We've found that it's sort of uh, distracting and, and difficult to have everybody on a call at the same time. Okay. Um, the 
sort of entrepreneur house that we had here in Barcelona has been a nonstop team meeting between mm -hmm. AJ, George, and I. And then Jake has come down on two separate uh, occasions for about two and a half Yeah, he's weeks based in each. Minneapolis, and so he's come over uh, for a couple chunks of time to, to collaborate with us. Yeah, and you saw the the massive framework that uh -huh. he's got set up, uh, all these, these notes and ideas pinned to the wall here. Um, so that's been really huge. But besides that, you know, we generally have sort of areas of responsibility. George works primarily with Ryan on development stuff. Um, I spend a lot of time communicating with Janelle about customer service and booking. And so everybody's sort of got their uh, connections. And we have maybe a weekly check-in with each of the people on our team that we're sort of responsible for, for working together with. Yeah, I think the big collaboration thing is making sure that the, the product it understands what's going on with sales and marketing, and sales and marketing understand what's going on with the product. So mm -hmm. Jake and I are more responsible for Jake. Jake finds the right people, and I convince those people to join us. And then Eric is overseeing the product, making sure George is building the right thing, and George makes sure that he builds it in a way that can be scalable. And uh, that's really crucial for us to know which features are coming out, to know to hold off on a promotion or emailing our list about something if next week the product's going to be way better than it was today. Mm -hmm. And if they're working on more long-game stuff and we're not going to have huge gains in the product because we're doing some heavy back-end stuff, then we can go ahead and, and, and you know sell the stuff because we know there's not going to be huge uh, tangible improvements for, for you know, a month or two. Nice. And just so the listeners know, we're actually recording this in the Abroaders headquarters here in Barcelona. <laughs> Three of the team members live here and operate uh, in the same flat, really. Yeah, same workspace. And this is a very, very productive, I'm guessing. Has it proven to be a this very productive been, This has been a, uh, a huge, huge boost in productivity uh, mm -hmm. for, I think, all, all three of us here, uh, and also when, when Jake was here. Uh, we're also sort of at a critical point where uh, when we arrived, so we arrived in Barcelona, uh, AJ was here a little bit before me, but George, AJ, and I were here together starting in about the middle of March. Mm -hmm. And from that point forward, we were basically finishing uh, the final touches sort of on uh, the free account uh, that, that we've got yeah, well, set up to help minimum, guide people. The most minimum viable Yeah, and your product, lead yeah. development, it's your MVP, right? Your minimum viable product. It's not something that necessarily looks like a super pro web app. It doesn't look like Orbits or Skyscanner and, and how it functions, but it gets the job done in the sense that we can get the information we need from people right. and analyze it and get them recommendations in a way that's pretty easy for them to act on. Okay, this is what I need to do. Get this card, put my regular spending on it, mm -hmm. and I trust you know in three to six months I'm going to have enough points to book my trip. So we've got that in place, uh, and that is definitely a product of all of us being here for the last mm -hmm. four uh, Incredible. Yep. It's really cool, listeners here at your brother's headquarters. Headquarters. Uh, headquarters. <laughs> There's a giant wall in our living room full of goals, to-dos. Yeah, the, we've got the mapped out of our uh, the, the hierarchy of our website because uh -huh. we just completely overhauled our website. And thanks to Jake, he, he got us as lean as possible, eliminated a bunch of pages where traffic was just going to die and unnecessary stuff. People getting confused, <laughs> um, not yeah. being able to find their yeah. way. Um, yeah, develop, yeah, development goals, development roadmaps, uh, some sales goals, some targets, some key dates, some shit that we can't forget. You uh -huh. know, just, uh, yeah, the walls are, are littered with uh, with business stuff. So their walls kind of looks like CSI or FBI crime scene, it I does. guess, funnel, yeah. more or less, if you've ever seen like pictures of the criminals or suspects. Persons of interest. Persons of interest up on the wall. With the pins and the strings connected to each other. Yeah, and meanwhile, while startups are doing this in Silicon Valley, you guys get to do this wherever you want yeah. in the yep. world. And boy, that's an advantage. Not only because, I mean, 
I think at a certain point there there could be an advantage to one or more of us being in Silicon Valley for the the business development and also if we decide that we want to take further rounds of investment, which isn't a foregone conclusion. You know, we've got sort of a runway that we think we can build something that's self-sustaining and mm-hmm. gives us enough extra cash mm-hmm. to grow the business. Um, but I think the nice thing uh, that a lot of people underestimate about being able to pick where you live is the cost of living. Yeah, you're yeah. lean. Our our budget our our monthly burn would uh, would easily double, triple. maybe triple for if we're in the Bay Area. If we're in the Bay Area, in, in, yeah. Bay Area. Yeah. I mean, um, right now, I mean the the way that our salaries are are based is pretty much like what is the cost of living, how much is rent, how much is a little bit of you know pocket change to go out and have a reasonable life, mm-hmm. and that's what we pay ourselves. And we're running really lean, and our salaries are. Shit, they're really low compared to what they'd be in. I mean, we could live like just be homeless four miserable people in Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's, that extends our runway greatly. We turn uh-huh. what would be a three-month runway in Silicon Valley into a year. Yeah. You know, which is huge. And this is the way to do it, too. Any smart entrepreneurs, you know, start off small, paying mm-hmm. themselves very little until they yeah. get to a point, you know, if you guys were paying yourselves a lot, you know, the, the business could go shot. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, that's that's not anybody's goal to sort of make money right now. Um, The goal is obviously not to pile up a bunch of debt or to, you know, be in a position where you're losing time because you're walking across town to go to the cheaper grocery store. Like there's a trade off there. But once you get to a spot where it's comfortable to live and honestly, you know, in Barcelona, if you're staying for the medium term, you can get a place for four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars a month for Mm -hmm. rent. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if you cook a little bit for yourself and don't go out to expensive clubs, it's really easy to spend a thousand dollars or less in Barcelona uh, yeah. on living expenses and be able to, you know, put a little bit of extra money away, and that's all we need. Yeah. And so that's you know that's worked really well. And you guys, uh, you guys aren't living like like bums either. I mean, you guys have nice lifestyles. You have a nice apartment. I mean, check out this recording. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this recording studio is absolutely incredible. I'm glad you guys have this. Yeah, man, it's, the broader head. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a solid. It's a solid lifestyle. But Doubles as a bedroom for lunch. AJ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I want to tie everything kind of back to... So 2013, you started the ideas for the Broaders, right? And then you moved in, and, and Eric and I were actually roommates in the summer of 2014 yep. here in Barcelona. We met through the DC, an entrepreneur group that we're both members of, that we're all members of. And the entrepreneur house actually came from that month that we lived together. And so Eric, Eric came in uh, to the apartment, and we started chatting about, you know, what we do, how we how we stay productive, our life goals, our business goals, and uh, we had two other roommates there that were kind of into the same thing, goal setting, and so we set up a schedule. Eric and I would work a lot from like uh, late night hours from midnight to six a.m. Yep, and we're working, but we found out like in in. Barcelona was a great time because it was quiet time for us, mm-hmm. and it was good for American hours as well, and we could stay very productive during that time. And then we also set goals to work out together, practice languages together, to go enjoy the city together, and the language thing didn't turn out too well. But, <laughs> but we made a little bit of progress. Yeah, we made a little bit of progress. What were you guys trying to learn? Spanish, French? We had we, we had, had French for sure. We had okay. Portuguese. Uh, well, because one of our roommates was was from Morocco, uh-huh. and so and I actually remember being, was I remember being, What was his name? Kareem. Kareem. Kareem I remember. Yeah. And then we had Simone, who was who was from France. Uh, uh-huh. So we had some in-house French speakers that could help us. We didn't get very far with that. 
that. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of Portuguese, and then we, we practiced some Spanish. Spanish. I think, I mean, overall for me, like, that was a, a really good exercise in sort of a balance of, of life and work, uh-huh. um, where you and I, you know, got into a great routine working out, and just, I, you know, I felt really good. Yeah. You know, and I had a lot of mental energy because... Um, I think it's easy, especially if you're working alone, and this has happened to AJ and I, I think both when we've been separated, is that it's really easy to get into these like 12, 13-hour workdays where the last five hours are the equivalent of like a half hour of good yeah, time. Right. And you just, just kind of lose sight of like, past the point stop of stop working and right. go do something else, and you're going to get more out of it next time. And working and living with you was a really nice accountability where it's like, nope, we got our, our workout mm-hmm. schedule, we're going to go run down to the park. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was kind of an eye-opener for me of like I can be way better at planning my schedule and I can get mm-hmm. a lot more productivity and have a better happiness, quality of life and, and overall health. Yeah, excellent. And then after you left, I was like, well, where's my accountability partner? Yeah. <laughs> and so I got this idea in the back of my mind of like, well, we need to be doing more of this. We knew a lot of entrepreneurs and digital nomads all around the world. We need to bring people together. And so then I wrote a post up, put it out on the interweb. It got a lot of traction about people coming to Barcelona to spend three months in early 2015. Ended up 12 people came to Barcelona and thus formed the Entrepreneur House to kind of what it is today. AJ decided to come join the house in summer of 2015. September 2015. September 2015, yeah. yeah. And we lived together also and had a... Yep, and born. had Had a great month. Now we're in our eighth house or something. Awesome. Yeah. I got to visit the uh, the Rio Entrepreneur House as well, which yeah. was super cool. I mean, that was kind of like the, it had been a long time since we had lived together. You and I had stayed in touch and kind of, kind of kept up on how things were going, but it was really cool to see that in action and yeah. just like see the uh, the whole thing realized as uh, as the actual vision that we had just sort of talked about, uh, you know, a year and a half earlier Yeah. Um, and to see, you know, that you had a bunch of really interesting, cool people that were working on businesses um, and having a great quality of life in Rio yeah, and absolutely. being here and being a part of the entrepreneur house again in, in Barcelona this year. It's yeah. been super fun. And then from the house last summer, you found George. Yeah, that, that was huge. And yeah. it was, I mean, it wasn't just like I stumbled across George. There's another uh, member of the entrepreneur house that tapped me on the shoulder and said, you need to talk to George. Uh-huh. So it was one entrepreneur house uh, alumni, Russ, Russ Hughes, mm-hmm. who's like, you know, really talked to George. And then we talked to George and now, now George is our CTO. And looking back, I mean, Hopefully, George, you're not listening. Don't get don't get a big head about this. But um, <laughs> like having a CTO enabled us to build the product we want and enabled us to give our investors the confidence to give us money. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, you know the the cart and the horse thing or whatever, which comes first. And mm-hmm. we needed a CTO, and because the entrepreneur house, we got that. And that's that's like the highlight. There's a bunch of other good stuff, other good people and contacts mm-hmm. from from last year, but uh, it was massive for us. This is the kind of magic that happens when you yeah. bring entrepreneurs together. Absolutely. Okay, you guys, I have some quick question slash case study here. So I'm a new client. I've heard about this frequent flyer mile thing. I have about $2,000 in monthly expenses that I could put on a credit card and pay off each month. My friend told me I should use you guys and I could get flights all around the world. Tell me how this works and what you would do for me. Well, first of all, uh, if you want us to help you, what, what we need is just some basic information. We got your spending. Uh, but the next key thing is, right, where do you want to travel? Do you know where you want to travel? Um, it can be I'd multiple like, places. I'd like to and go you can keep it open. You know, It doesn't yeah. have to be like, a, I want to go on this state to this place. But it does make a difference because there's some kinds of points and some sort of strategies that don't work as well for certain regions. So like Europe is a bit different than Asia in terms of like what you should try and do. 
Uh, and so, you know, it helps to kind of know either, you know, what trips you have planned or also just sort of the frequency and especially whether you want to try and go for business class or you just want to travel as much as possible uh, where you're willing to fly economy and hang out in the back with the regular people. For, I do economy for and, I, and I have a distant cousin in Chile and then I think I'd like to go to Bali after that. Okay. All right. Uh, and so you've got about 2000 in spending. The one other question we'd ask you is about business. Mm -hmm. And if you have your own business uh, and you have some business spending as well, you have access to a whole bunch of other cards uh, that are small business cards that also earn points. I don't. I'm just a nine-to-fiver. Okay, just a nine-to-five guy. Mm -hmm. So uh, in that case, I'd probably recommend uh, two credit cards. You've got basically most of the time it takes about three months to earn the bonus points that come along with these cards. Mm -hmm. um, and so as long as you have decent uh, or above average credit, um, say like above 660 or 670. Uh -huh. um, and if you're a little bit below, there are a few things that you can often do to, to mm -hmm. improve your credit. So you don't don't lose hope uh, if you're sort of a little bit lower than that. Um, but I'd recommend uh, probably like the Chase Sapphire Preferred card mm -hmm. and uh, either one of the United cards or uh, one of the Delta or one of the American yeah. cards. And it, it really depends. It depends, and that's a big part of um, what we're trying to do and how we're trying to help people is the offers are always changing. So we've got a database of the best, uh, the best offers, the biggest bonuses, and we match that together with where you want to go, what points you already have, what credit cards do you have to know which credit cards you're eligible for, and we'll connect the dots and we'll get you the best card for you based on the points you have, the the current cards you have, where you want to travel, and your spending. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big part of what what our our software does is uh, helps connect the dots for those things. So basically, all you have to do is to apply for the couple of cards we recommend. Uh, it takes maybe 10 minutes per application, fill mm -hmm. it out on the bank's website. Um, and assuming you get approved, you're just going to use those cards for your regular expenses. Mm -hmm. So that means every time you go out for drinks, buy grocery, put gas in the car, uh, all of those expenses are generating the spend that's required to get the bonus points. Okay. Um, so we'll set you up with a sort of requirement that's maybe 5000 in, in three months. Mm -hmm. That way you get a little bit of breathing room. Uh, you're naturally spending 2000 per month. Mm -hmm. um, and typically about... Two to four, two to six weeks after uh, you reach that five thousand spending requirement on the card, mm -hmm. you're going to get a bunch of points deposited in your account. And if we time it right, usually two applications will give you between a hundred and a hundred and twenty, hundred and forty thousand points. Uh, that's enough uh, to do a round trip to South America is usually about 60 if you do it right. Mm -hmm. uh, and a round trip to Asia is usually about 60 to 70 if you do it right. Um, so right there in one set of applications, you can potentially get enough points to do both of those round trips. And you can pay anywhere from 5 to $150 in taxes and fees for, mm -hmm. the, for each of the round trips. Um, 50 to 60 is kind of typical for, for economy tickets. Yeah. So you're looking at like 200 Dollars maybe out of pocket, all your costs included, uh, and getting two yeah. round trips. Uh, it it really actual. all comes down to um, having enough information to figure out how to help somebody is earn the right points and then use those points in a smart way. And using points can be complicated, so um, that's another key <laughs> component. There's like there's the points earning, and then there's and then there's the actually using the points to redeem. You know, for example, that Chase card that he recommended to you, you're not going to go to Chase's website and you're not going to book a flight through there. Mm -hmm. If you're going to Asia, you're probably going to transfer those points to United. Mm -hmm. And you could use United's program because they've got good partners that have access to that region and the taxes and fees are reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's super easy to accidentally spend 
80,000 or uh, 100,000 points on one of those round trips mm -hmm. if you just redeem the wrong way. So you got to like kind of know what the, the different programs are and how much they'll charge you in miles for, for the trip. And so we do everything we can to make that part as easy as possible and say, like, this is what you should expect to pay. If you're seeing higher prices, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, just like talk to us. And so we kind of walk folks through the booking process. Or we also, some people just don't want to mess with it at all. Yeah, we, yeah. we have a, a sort of a side service that we just book tickets yeah. for people if they don't want to mess with yeah, it. Yeah, a quick example of how redeeming points can be frustrating is, Let's say hypothetically you're in Asia and you want to go from Asia to the United States and you have American Airlines miles. Mm -hmm. So you go onto American Airlines website and you say, okay, let's book my flight from, I don't know, say Hong Kong to New York. Mm -hmm. It's going to show that there's no flights available and it's easy to think, well, shit, I guess uh, like I can't do anything about this. But what you do in that situation is you go to British Airways website because they're a partner with American Airlines and British Airways search engine will show availability on Japan Airlines and on Cathay Pacific, two mm -hmm. great ways to use your points. And so it's just little stuff like that nice. that's, uh, that's fr that can be frustrating for people. And yeah. it's, uh, it's not rocket science, but in the aggregate, there's so many moving parts and yeah. so many deviations off of what's intuitive that it can be kind of frustrating. And that's kind of the whole idea of, of this business. Beautiful. Okay, rapid-fire questions, you guys. These are... Uh these uh, Eric and AJ do not know what these questions are, so they're going to hit them by surprise. We'll start with you, AJ. How do you keep yourself motivated? Oh, man, that's a great question. Uh, right now, uh, living with Eric and George, uh, so I feel guilty if I'm not uh, doing work. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, no, really. Guilt keep, keep is a great motivator. No. Yeah. Um, I, I try to, like... I, I, I kind of try to set like uh, short and long term goals, you know, like um, like a more long term goal, like like real carnival, something I'm looking forward to. But I know if our business isn't successful, that's not going to happen because uh -huh. I'm not going to have the money to do it or the time to do it, and that's going to require a lot of work and having us reach some certain milestones. So from a work perspective, um, you know, I try to have something I'm looking forward to that is kind of tied to some performance. Mm -hmm. So with Rio Carnival, I know I've got to do great work and collectively we've got to do a great job and then we can do it. But if we don't stay the course, it's just not going to happen. I know it won't happen if we if we don't reach certain milestones. Excellent. Eric, if you had $100 million and you're 100 times smarter than you are, what would you do? Save the world, man. And, <laughs> and world poverty and hunger. Uh -huh. um, honestly, I mean... The only real motivator for me to have a huge amount of money uh -huh. uh, is to be able to make a massive impact in the world. Uh -huh. Like, you know, after a certain point, I'd like to have enough money that I don't personally have to worry about finances ever again. Uh -huh. But that's, you know, based on my lifestyle and the kinds of things that are important to me, that's not that much money. Right. You know, that's like sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year. I'll never have to worry about money. Mm -hmm. Even with a couple of kids, like, I can't imagine myself being in, like, a, a high roller kind of lifestyle. So everything after that mm -hmm. is just sort of like, I do have a really huge motivation to make a ton of money because, uh, you know, there's a lot of really good people in the world with good hearts and like good ideas about what they could do. And they just don't have the resources mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. like, yeah. And not to discount like those people to try and do something, volunteer, spend their time. There's a huge amount of value to that, but there's an amplifying effect of, of having huge amounts of money. So if I had big time money, uh, I would probably be full time just trying to figure out one spot that I can make a difference on millions of people. Nice, like that. AJ, name all the countries you have lived in. Okay, um, Brazil, Colombia, the United States, Hungary, Serbia, Spain, Vietnam, Thailand, Thailand. I think. Those are places I've been like for more than a month at a time. Okay. Yeah. 
Eric, what's your favorite country and why? Oh, God, I got this one. <laughs> Brazil is my favorite country, without a doubt. Uh -huh. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why, but I think that almost all of them kind of boil down to the people of Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, it's an incredible culture. It's a really warm place that uh, loves foreigners and loves, mm -hmm. you know, sort of showing people their country, their customs, their their culture. It's also a place that's that's really musical um, and, you know, has sort of a laid-back lifestyle. A lot of ways that sort of overlaps with Europe and a sort of not in a huge hurry to get places and yeah. take the time to enjoy the little things. Um, and I've spent a lot of time, I've probably spent now three or four years in aggregate in mm -hmm. Brazil on maybe 15 trips. Um, and so, you know, that's the place that I want to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. Nice. AJ, where do you see your business in five years? In five years? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would like to think in five years we're, we're beating off bigger companies with a stick that want to acquire us because we have grown so much and... They see the potential in plugging in our solution to their enormous multi-billion dollar uh, company. Um, but I don't know, man. It's, I, if, I'm, I'm an optimist. I see a broader as having a team in the in the 20 to 30 person range, and that's like running lean. I think uh, I think we're going to have a lot of users. I think we're probably not going to do exactly what we think we're going to do because mm -hmm. it's so impossible to exactly predict the future. But I think yeah. we're going to have a tool that does something with frequent flyer points that helps people and helps a lot of people. Eric, where do you see the business in 10 years? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Honestly, the, the big goal uh, to me for Broaders is to become, uh, to sort of do to the industry of loyalty programs and points and miles mm -hmm. what the online travel agencies did uh, to booking travel for yourself. Uh, so if okay. you think about maybe 20 or 30 years ago, uh, if you wanted to take a trip to Europe, you called up a travel agent and they called the airline or booked the ticket with one of these like super old systems, you know, telephone mm -hmm. dial by number to get the flights and everything. And at the point where Expedia and Orbitz and Priceline came into onto the scene, uh, they just made it so much easier for the everyday person to just like, I yeah. want to rent a car, I want to get a hotel, and I'm going to buy my flights, and in 15 minutes you got your trip to Europe. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want to do to award travel. Mm -hmm. I want to make it so that every time you think about traveling, you're not just checking prices to see how much it costs. You're checking prices. You're seeing if you buy these tickets, how many miles are you going to earn? What kind of benefits are you going to get from purchasing? And what are the options to spend maybe 50 or $100 in taxes and fees and use some of the miles that you've saved up? So to integrate that whole experience. And I think when we get to that point, uh, we're going to either get a bunch of investment and acquire a big company like mm -hmm. Orbitz or something like that, or mm -hmm. we're going to get bought by somebody like Google or Orbitz or Expedia. That's where I want to be in 10 years. I like it. Good yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with them on that. Uh, one last question before we wrap up, um, and this is for both of you, AJ okay. and Eric. Who would win in a fight? AJ, definitely. <laughs> I, I, I think I would win in a fight. Um, just, just uh, if we if we maybe had some, I think you know if like there's a chess match involved in the, uh -huh. in the battle, I might come out on top. But uh, AJ's got the AJ's got me, got me in a fight. All right, I want to think faster than me. I can't even get away. Is he? Yeah, <laughs> I, I can move for a big guy, Chris. I can. Uh, oh, actually, no. I don't know. I, I don't run anymore. But at least when I when I used to play sports with being a big guy, I could run fairly well for a white guy. But uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. right on. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for being a part of the Entrepreneur House, both of you guys. Really appreciate it. 
and I'm glad that uh, the Entrepreneur House could help you guys along the way too. Yeah, I think we'll wrap up there. Do you guys have anything else? Do you thank, want to tell thank you. I want to tell. I want to. I want to thank you for everything you've done. Thanks for having us on the show. Uh -huh. um, and really, man, like last year at the Entrepreneur House. I mean, this year it's been great being around it, but the Entrepreneur House was. Uh, it's kind of a that brought us our our linchpin. You know. Uh -huh. Yep. Man, I, I, I really admire what you're doing. It's exciting to see this develop, and um, you know, I just can't wait to, to see where, where the entrepreneur house is in five years or ten years. Oh, yeah. um, you know, you're going to have a, a chance to impact a lot of people. Um, so for everybody listening, I hope you guys take advantage and, and find an opportunity to be a part because it's a huge, huge uh, advantage and, and just an awesome experience. Thanks, man. really yeah. appreciate that. Okay, listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys again for coming on the show, and saludos from Barcelona. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for location-independent entrepreneurs. Imagine spending one month with other successful entrepreneurs building business in the world's most exotic locations. Day-to-day, -day you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality about business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those staying in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have have an incredible adventure while doing it. For those of you that are interested, be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com website. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world. Rio Carnival. Rio versus Salvador, Street Party versus Camarachi. I really like the Rio Carnival better. I think that overall, uh, there's just a lot more diversity to the Rio Carnival because of how many different neighborhoods have that is true. local there's, parties. There's only like two circuits. There's in two Salvador. main circuits in Salvador. And while they're sort of long in that you can, you know, work your way along and see a decent part of the city on both, they're the same circuit every day and the blocos progress from one end to the other, so it's always the same route. Uh -huh. Whereas in Rio, it could be a plaza that's yeah. just a party. Right. And there's less walking and the damn sound trucks don't really move. I mean, they do, they like kind of have shorter routes, yeah, but yeah. you don't have to, like, continuously work your way through a crowd to stay with the music you like. Yeah. In Salvador, it's actually, often there's, like, multiple sound trucks that just kind of work their way through. Oh, it's like a parade. So you've got, yeah, it's, it's much more like of, a, the Rick sounds. a parade of, of these giant trucks stacked with speakers. But to me, I really like just being able to, like, hang out in a plaza and, like, have your one beer vendor that you know and like that uh -huh. has proven he's not going to rip you off. <laughs> and, you know, you can kind of meet friends. And, like, it just seems more easy to kind of pick your experience, uh, whereas the Salvador Carnival is a little bit more, uh, you know, you're just kind of off with the flow. And uh, so, for me, the diversity of the neighborhoods is, is pretty cool and real. Are you going to go to Carnival again this year? Most definitely. If, if at all possible... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna pop over from Colombia and head head over to the Rio Carnival probably sometime uh, early February, trying to get a little bit of a head start. The other thing about Rio, and this is true in Salvador too, but we didn't take quite as much advantage uh, the one time we were there, is that Rio Carnival starts like in early January. Uh -huh. You know, like there's something it's going so on. Up, yeah. yeah, like yeah. at least Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the two or three weeks before Carnival, there's yeah. parties all the time. And then for the two or three weeks after Carnival. Yeah. Um, so there's there's like just, it's a never ending. If you really yeah. have a lot of time that you can, you know, relocate, uh, the first couple months of the year are pretty pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Brazil. Not, not necessarily good for working. Yeah, the year doesn't start in Brazil until after Carnival. Yeah. <laughs> the work year. No, yeah, the worst quarter year. returns are pretty ugly. And <laughs> I'd be curious to look at that. I'll bet you it's oh, bad, yeah. Man. yeah, the, the production so is low. Many, so many holidays. Yeah, it makes sense.
So you're doing you're doing the same. Are you going to US three weeks in Colombia with AJ, or what's your plan? Yeah, I think that's the plan. Yeah. Um, maybe middle to the end of August, head down to to Medellin and find a place and, okay. and set up shop. And that was like that was definitely the most productive part of my year last year was the month of August when we went to Medellin. Yeah, just got on a really good routine and. It's a nice mix, you know. There's there's like good nightlife, um, you know, more more of the types of places that I like to hang out, which tend to be more like bars instead of clubs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of like plaza culture, which is very similar yeah, to Brazil, also similar culture. to here. Um, but it's less um, like in Barcelona, people hang out in plazas, but it's the bars that are selling to you know for drinks or right. the folks carrying a, a little six pack of crappy beer. And there, there's way more options. Uh, if you're in a plaza, you can basically buy whatever yeah, kind of drinks you want from people, people or, vending yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still the bars, but it's just a little less um, less formal feeling. You know, the bars are all kind of like hole-in-the-wall joints, and there's lots of like little markets that are selling beer and stuff, so mm-hmm. you can go to like the, the grocery store and, and buy, you know, enough booze to keep you and your friends happy for the whole night for like nice. 10 bucks, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of forgot about that. That's... Uh, I can't remember the place we buy beers from, but uh, yeah. it's right on the corner of uh, Parque Yeah. I know, I know, I know. I don't know the name either. <laughs> we'll find it again, though. Yeah. Um, I think I'll be in Rio in September. If you guys happen to be down there, just cool. let me know. Any any thoughts of uh, Olympics? No, you know, no, not gonna happen. <laughs> no, it's gonna be crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't really. Um, I don't know. Marcelli will be down there and working, and she'll have the invites to all the stuff because her. Her students are actually employees of the Olympics. Okay. And she all gets right. all Man, I bet you, I bet you in, what is it now? I bet you in two weeks, there's going to be some really good deals there. Yeah. I bet you if you try to book the Olympics a year ago, hotels were just obnoxiously expensive for a shitty hotel with shitty service. And I bet you in a couple <laughs> weeks. All the hotels. Um, Everything that's in Yeah, I, I bet you they're going to struggle. They've had so much bad press. Yeah. And compared to the World Cup, the World Cup, I knew so many people that planned to, wanted to, and did go to the World Cup. I don't know one person going to the Olympics. It's not like yeah. I know everybody, but I would think in my network you would that'd know. be like a decent proxy for like the interest. I don't know one person going for the Olympics. Yeah, it's an interesting thing too. Uh, you know, they've facilitated people going to Brazil because they waived the visa for, for uh, the whole, like I, I think basically all month of August, I think through September, there's no visa requirement for U.S. Mm-hmm. and for most of the other countries. Yeah, the U.S., U.K., Japan, visa Canada. situation going with Brazil. So uh, if you're just kind of looking to check out Brazil, it's a really it's good time. Um, easy time where you don't have to, because it's not, it's not super hard to do the visa, but it is time consuming. You got to mail your passport to one of the consulates in the U.S. if you're in the U.S. and wait. You know, we at one point had a, a customer that was going to Brazil and had just overlooked the visa thing and emailed us like, three weeks before mm-hmm. departure I was like, hey, I read that I need a visa for this. Is that true? Like, yes. <laughs> so for God's sakes, man. Okay. Uh, you're going to overnight this to the consulate yeah. and uh, just pray that they're not on vacation 